0: I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to today's radio show. This is Isaiah Engel, cheeky scientist. Today we're talking about genius productivity strategies PhDs use to cut their job search in half. You might be thinking, there's no way I can get hired faster. There's no way that I can uh, demystify the job search process for me any faster. You might feel a a sense of comfort uh, in taking a back seat in the next step in your career, in sinking into that comfortable analysis paralysis that a lot of us uh, PhDs Become all too familiar with in academia. It's great to think. I love to think. I love to sit inside my, my rich internal environment. And I'm sure on some level you do as well, maybe more than me, maybe less. But as a PhD, you do have a mind palace, so to speak. And it's very easy to sit in this palace and to pontificate, to play out scenarios in your head, to feel like that is somehow bringing you closer. Uh, I talk to so many PhDs on transitions transition calls that I do every single weekday. I get on over 20 of these and I love doing them because it helps me understand the mindset of a PhD, the mindset that I used to have and I think every PhD has to grow out of in order to get hired into industry where you feel like thinking is doing, it is not. Thinking will not make you more productive uh, in this sense. You need to execute and then you need to figure out Usually through many years of iteration, how to execute better and better, so you're more productive, more effective, maybe also more efficient. Uh, you can be, you can do both. You can improve efficiency and improve fa- effectiveness, and that's what I want to focus on today. So, what are the most impactful things you can do? What, how can you get the biggest benefit for the minimum effective dose in terms of your time, in terms of your effort? Now, when I say effort, I mean sustained effort. I don't mean Oh, that gives me this weird, uncomfortable feeling on the inside, right? So that there's going to be a barrier to entry. Reaching out to somebody you don't know is going to be uncomfortable. You're, it's going to feel to you, or you're going to think about how uncomfortable it is and, and, that, and think that that's somehow hard. It's the most effective thing to do, but it's the most painful in the sense of discomfort. It's still productive. It's still right. It's still the correct strategy. And when you do anything over time, it becomes easier. It's a skill. It's a, it's a muscle. You have to use it. Having conversations with people. You've noticed that if you go an extended period of time not talking to as many people as you used to, not saying as many words, perhaps perhaps in academia, in the lab, the classroom, compared to somebody else, let's say, that works at a media company, like a, a newspaper that's coming out daily online, <laughs> or uh, you know a, a, tra- a stock trading floor. That might seem like a lot of noise, too much, too intense. But if you were in that environment, no matter who you are, for an extended period of time, you would adapt. And then if you went back to academia, you'd be like, whoa, this is really quiet. So what I mean by this is you might have to stretch yourself in some areas. But these strategies will help you get hired faster, will help you demystify the job search faster, will help you pinpoint which career is right for you faster. Now, if you're expecting me to tell you, uh, you know, uh, tricks on how to uh, to read faster, to consume information faster. Uh, if you're looking for me to tell you, you know how to, you know the right type of resume to to write, or some secret word that hypnotizes people so that they give you a job referral, that's not going to happen. But what I can tell you is that everything I'm going to talk about today is directly from PhDs, and not one or two. It, many PhDs over the last ten years, what uh, something that they've done to dramatically increase the speed at which they get job offers, the speed at which they zero in on what they want, the, the speed at which they fulfill their career hopes and dreams. Even if you have a couple of years until you graduate, it doesn't matter if you're a PhD student, a postdoc, or professor, these will work for you. These are the highest impact things you can do. These are the genius productivity strategies that actual PhDs have, have used to slash the amount of time and effort and other resources they've had to use uh, in their job search. The first one, burning the ships. Burning the ships. Right now, what holds you back is that you're prioritizing academia. I'm, I've worked so with so many PhDs one-on-one, and when we first start working together, they're like, I, I got to go. I got to get back to the, the classroom, the lab. My PA is going to be mad. They have this block. They're used to keeping somebody else happy. They're used to their current structure, their framework, their current schedule. And veering outside of that makes them very uncomfortable. That's normal, though. I mean, study habits, rituals, how we create them, that uneasy feeling you get by doing something different. You have to realize that when you have a new goal, you have to catch your habits, your rituals, your daily routine up to that goal. So when I say burn ships, I mean, you have to prioritize your job search first, your career first. Is your career, your own career, your top priority right now? If you know you're leaving academia, how much of your time compared to the time you're spending doing everything else? Your experiments, your thesis, just being present so your PI can see you, whatever it might be. It's going to be, the ratio is going to be off quite a bit. You need to think about how can I spend as much time as possible on my job search, where I'm going, coming up with opportunities? How can I get a job offer in front of me, even if I can't take it right now, just so I get some experience with it so I can see what it's like? You have to commit to yourself. I'm never going back to academia. It does not matter if my PI is mad at me because their letter letter of recommendation doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the administration here is mad at me. Other people's opinions do not matter. It's not going to change my path once I've decided to go into industry. So you have to commit. I'm going into industry, period, the end. That's all that matters to me. I don't care who knows it. There's very little risk of letting others know it once you're past that's that master stage or your comprehensive exam or however uh, your, your path is structured. There's always that, that point really of no return where you're going to get your PhD as long as you keep pushing. Number two, focus on companies, learning the companies that will hire you, understanding the landscape. I've talked about this quite a bit in the last few radio shows. When I get on a transition call, with PhDs to talk about their job search. And I ask them which companies they want to work for. They're able to name one or two at best. That's it out of the millions that will hire them. Instead, we get obsessed with job titles. But think about it. What's, what's the premise? What is the job? Where's the job title originating from? The company. What else is at the company? The contacts, the people you need to get in touch with, whether it's the hiring manager, the recruiter, Imagine if you understood the companies in your space, even if you understood and had looked at the LinkedIn page of a hundred different companies, which most PhDs will never do, that would still be a a drop in the bucket for the millions out there that that would hire you. And every company has slightly different job titles. Some of them are interchangeable, like the most ubiquitous ones, maybe project manager, right? Maybe senior scientist, but many of them are unique to the company and you're not even studying the company. You're not even doing a company search on LinkedIn. You're doing job title searches and just seeing whatever company comes up with that job title. If you step back, you can, you can see how ridiculous this is. Start with the company. Everything grows out of the company. The job titles that are available at the company, start with the company. The people that work at the company, right? Start with the company. Understand the company. Understand the opportunities there. Understand that company deeply, the hierarchy, The what's unique about it how they structure their job descriptions, what their culture is, what they're actually looking for. This pivot alone, uh, I would say other than committing, which is the first thing I talked about for a reason, uh, will have the most dramatic impact on your job search when it comes to productivity. Adding value. You maybe have heard me say the acronym AVF. We talk about that in the association, add value first. How do you add value to other people? Well, I want you to use the briefcase technique which is often uh, a term that's used in negotiation where you'll bring something on paper. Very few people do this. This is a place where PhDs can win. Uh, you know, Bringing something on paper as far as what other companies are paying, the averages, et cetera, can help you negotiate. But here, what if you applied the briefcase technique to adding value? So this is from PhDs who, I mean, I, I was impressed with the effort that they put in, but it became is- easy after a while because they found a framework for it. This was a group of MSLs or aspiring MSLs at the time. And what they did was they would take a paper as it came out, uh, a new paper uh, on a new drug that was in the clinical trials process, and they would summarize the entire paper on a one-page, like Cliff's uh, Notes-style document. And they would give this out to people in the industry that they wanted to get into. Think of how phenomenal that is. That's why uh, PhDs are are so valuable. That's why they're lighting up the entire MSL industry for that, that ability right? To to understand, to comprehend a, a paper and to, to, to be able to uh, summarize it succinctly. Phenomenal. I mean, just phenomenal. What a great way to add value. So adding value to employees working at the companies that you want to work for. Adding value to other people that are searching for their jobs. Because guess what? They're very likely somebody's going to get hired before you at a company and they can refer you for that job. My point is, taking the the way you're adding value to another level I, I wanted to anchor you really high in terms of adding value right it, even if you're not going to use the briefcase technique you're not going to give a summary of a paper to somebody can you at least send them a message and only talk about them when you first reach out don't try to sneak in anything about what you want but just congratulate them on their career and their career progress number 4 changing your thresholds if you think you're going to apply to 3 or 4 jobs and get hired and then it doesn't happen, and then because you think it's going to happen after three or four, you kind of space it out over several weeks. That is a productivity killer, right? That is, uh, it's incorrect. It's a it's a false assumption based on what you have no idea. I can tell you on average you're going to apply to at least forty positions in full, as in targeted resumes. Maybe it'll dip a bit depending on what's happening in the labor market, and you'll get a handful of interviews, maybe five. Or six, and then out of that will come the job offer that you want. So just by changing your threshold, it helps you manage your energy. Energy is key to productivity. Really, it's your mental energy, your ability to get things done without feeling exhausted, without the emotional turmoil. Uh, one of my favorite quotes. I think it's, I think it's in the it's a book, a really old kind of self help book called The Power of po- po- uh, Power of Positive, Positive Thinking. Um, Norman Vincent Pearl, maybe. And it said, it's not hard work that exhausts us, it's emotional turmoil. So, an employer not responding to you, the uneasiness you feel when you want to reach out to an employer or an employee working at a company, expecting to get hired after four applications and not hearing anything back, and feeling a sense of rejection or uncertainty, not knowing what's going on, that emotional turmoil will exhaust your mental energy and you'll want to do something else because losing is not fun. So setting the right threshold will keep your energy levels up. Set the right expectations. Number five, skip the line. Why are you trying to reach out to people on LinkedIn when it's hard to get them to to respond to you, especially for employers? Why are you struggling? You're looking, you're doing an hour of research. I've seen PhDs do this, an hour of research to try to find out who's responsible for the job posted online. Because it is very impactful to send the message, you know, like a a cover letter and, and address it to an individual versus just sending a general cover letter to whom it may concern. When they could just pick up the phone and call the company and ask them who's responsible for this open position. Especially right now, employees have more leverage because there is a shortage, a labor shortage. So as a PhD, call the company, ask them, you are a grown up, pick up the phone, it has the phone number at the bottom. If they say just apply online, at least you tried. I would make a few other calls. Skip the lines. Tell them you want to skip the line. Tell them, I appreciate that. Just don't hire anybody else for this position until you talk to me. I'm the perfect person for the job. Now, you might be thinking, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. In academia, if you have your academic hat on, if you're looking at yourself through the eyes of other lifetime academics, guess what? Yeah, they may not like that. They're not going to value that kind of can-do attitude, but in industry, they love it. They don't want the uh, posturing PhD who's too cool to act like they really want the job. They want the person who really wants the job. Skip the line. Call, tell them to to wait for you. Tell them how much you want the job. Number six, win. Are you thinking in terms of win? W-H-E-N, win. We often think about what we want. I gotta figure out this job title. Which one's right for me? We'll spend months, some PhDs, years, while they're in grad school thinking about that. But win. When does the audience, right? The, the people that can give you the job, the gatekeepers, the employees who can give you a referral for the job, when do they want to hear from you? When are they most likely to respond to you? Most of us as PhDs, you know, we we think, okay, it's Friday, it's Saturday, I can catch up and I can apply to some jobs. Did you know you're the least likely to hear back from an employer on a Friday or a Saturday if you upload your application to their job site? or give it to them at that time. That's best for you. We've all experienced this. People are trying to clear out their inbox frantically on a Friday. All of a sudden, you're getting all these emails on Friday. You're trying to clear out your inbox as well, responding. And then you respond, they respond back. You respond, they respond. And after a little while, you're like, wait a sec. I know what's happening here. We're both trying to clear out our inboxes. I'm just going to leave this message so I don't get another response. Everybody does that. It's the worst time to apply for a job studies i talk about a study from talentworks very often monday right employers come in the jo- the the hiring managers the talent acquisition specialists they come in on monday look at the resumes that have come in they set all of their calls up and they spend the rest of the week making calls the best time to apply is sunday evening depending on your time zone and monday morning early consider when now as far as carving out time with we- When is your mental energy peaking? Do you know? Have you thought about it? Have you tested it? What if you just, on a scale of one to 10, I wrote about this in uh, my second book, The Science of Intelligent Achievement. What if you just made a list on paper on your phone of all the hours of the day that you're awake, and then on a scale of one to 10, what what your mental energy was? You're likely going to see a couple of peaks during the day. Sometime in the morning is going to be the biggest peak, and then sometime in the afternoon or even early evening, you'll see another peak. There's even apps. One that I like, it's not perfect, it's called peak time. There's a lot of studies that show your peak mental energy uh, is related to dexterity. In this case, how quickly you can tap your finger. Um, you know, I was very surprised to find out that, yeah, my mental energy peaks in the morning after I wake up, but it's actually even better around 4 to 7 p.m. What is it for you? So I started carving out time to write and to do some of my more intensive content work. Around that time, and it was unbelievable how much I was able to get done. Find your peak mental energy. Carve out time, rearrange your day around it, so you have one hour of uninterrupted time towards your job search where you're mentally peaking. Don't do what most of us do. We wait till like uh, whatever breadcrumbs I have left over at the end of the day, or whenever you know it's a Friday, I come into Saturday morning, and uh, I'll get some. That's not enough every day. If you're serious about your job search, serious about your career, are you even are you strategizing? Or are you just doing? Are you a technician? Are you a lab rat? Are you someone who somebody else is going to leverage for their career? Or are you going to put some of your most valuable time aside for your career? Quit keeping things to yourself. Quit being so secretive in your job search. If you're interviewing, I have so many PhDs ask me, they ask me if I'm interviewing. Should I tell them I'm interviewing? Yes. Do you want them to think that they're the only company you're interviewing with? Is that in any way going to help you? I don't care what anybody else says. I've never seen it help for you to say, this is the only company I'm interviewing for. Great, nobody else wants you. There's no pressure. There's no social proof now. Yes, I'm interviewing, of course. I know my value. What value are you going to bring to me? When you get a job offer, tell the other companies you've been talking to you got a job offer. What a complete waste to get a job offer from a company And not go to every other company you're interested in working for and ask them at least for an interview. What a waste. Like you finally have leverage, one of the rare times in your life or in a job search where you will have leverage and you don't even use it. Very sad. Leads to, I mean, just years, put you back years in terms of your career. Your career is not as long as you might think. I mean, you have about 20 prime years of your career, maybe even less than that, depending on how long you've been in academia and you're not going to use these points of leverage when you have them that that's 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 career sabotage that's self sabotage that's squandering build a case second to last build a case if you can't give an employer certainty that you're going to either take the offer very likely to take it or you're at least going to carefully consider it and it's going to be very you know again likely Yes, or they're going to be able. You're going to be able to negotiate with them to get what you want. They're never going to do all the work to drop the contract, do the background checks, everything else to hire you. You do realize that you do realize you have to build a case as well that you're the best person for the job and that you actually want to work there. You have to show intense levels of commitment to the position at hand. I talked to somebody. You know, I've been mentioning this story frequently because it's it's a good cautionary tale. Somebody that I'm working with in the association, Uh, one of their early uh, lessons that they learned was when they were asked, where do you want to be in five years? They started, you know, again, going into the mind palace, thinking of all the different options that are available. I could do this. I could do this. And not only thinking about it, but saying it. What did the employer want to hear? The employer wanted to hear, I'm going to be in this position in five years, but doing it even better because I'm here for the long term. What if I don't know if that's what I want? You're here now. Show them that you're at least grateful for the job. You're excited about it, that you're not already thinking about your next move. Do you know how that comes across? And then finally, it's called selling into the clothes. Why do we? are we so selfish sometimes? We think about ourselves. They start asking us about salary and stuff and we just jump into the conversation when we should be deflecting and saying, I care more about the experiences. I care more about the team I'm going to be working with. I'm I'm more concerned about the value I'll be able to add to this company. I'm more curious about what are the metrics of success here so I can make sure that I can help the company be successful. What can I give? How can I serve? Instead, we jump in and start talking about money, negotiating verbal, but they're putting pressure on me. So you don't have to be pressured into a corner and talk to talk about money. You can talk about the value you're gonna add and keep talking about it. Not in a selfish way, like you're oh, I'm the greatest thing to come along here. Thank goodness you found me. No, but how can I add the most value here? What's the time that, you know, tell me about an example of somebody else getting hired in this position where they really just nailed it and did a great job for you. Cause I want to do that kind of job for you. See the difference. All right. Hopefully this helps you. I'd love for you to save time, energy, resources. What would this look like if it's easy? All right. This is a quote that I have on my bookshelf in my, in my office. Cause as PhDs, we tend to think it's only good and right if it's complex. It's got to be hard. It's got to be painful. What would this look like if it's easy? What, if it would, what would it look like if it, if it was more productive, if I was able to do more in less time, using less mental energy, less resources? I hope this helps you. I'd love to talk to you on a transition call. You can talk to myself or one of my transition team who I've trained myself. I get on as many of these calls as I can. If you go to cheekyscientist.com at the top, there's an orange hello bar. You click on that, you can apply to book a free transition call. If your application is accepted, our team members will be in touch. You may even be able to book on your own, depending on how many call slots we have. I'd love to talk to you about where you are in your transition and where you need to be to transition. I'd love to explore possibilities, tell you about some companies that would hire you, even show you people working at those companies that have PhDs who you should talk to. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.